Hello everybody and welcome back to the show. You're listening to Firearms Cafe. I'm your host, Tony Brown. Today is Thursday, the 7th of January, 2010. Hey everybody, on today's show we'll continue the series of how the court works. We'll look at who the people are inside the courtroom with you. But before we do that, I've got a couple of announcements to make. And the first has to do with Max's show called Liberal Guncast. Now a couple of weeks ago I said that his show would be joining us at Gun Rights Radio Network. Then I got an email from Mark saying that, oh, he hasn't officially joined yet, so he may have jumped the gun a little bit. So then on my next show, I said, well, maybe he's not going to join. But I invited everyone to go over and listen to his show anyway, because I thought it was a really good show. As many of you know, it's now official that the Liberal Guncast has joined uh, the Gun Rights Radio Network. So please join me and give his show a listen. I think you'll really like it. I enjoy his shows. Uh, and then send him an email welcoming him to the network. Also go over to the forums at gunrightsradionetwork.com and, and give him a shout out there as well. Uh, you know, none of us get paid for any of this. And um, the emails and the interaction that we have with you really makes it worthwhile for us. Now speaking of having interaction with you guys, that brings me to my second announcement. And that is that I now have a voicemail. And the number is area code 206-339-3266. And again, that number is area code 206-339-3266. So I'd love for you guys uh, to call and leave me a message, and then I'll go ahead and play it on the show, unless you state otherwise. Uh, Now I'm using this for my other podcast, The Armed Ape. Uh, which I'd invite you guys to go listen to, with the caveat that that is an uh, adult show and it doesn't always have to do uh, with firearm-related issues. So when you call that number, the greeting is for both podcasts. So just let me know which show the message is for. Also, I'd like you to leave your first name and where you're calling from. Uh, So if Tommy from the Gun Dudes called in, he'd start out by saying, This is Tom from Utah, and he'd leave the rest of his meshes, which would probably go something like this. I like turtles. Now, I'm looking forward to the thousands and thousands of voicemails that I'm going to get from you guys. And again, that number is area code 206-339-3266. And if you would like to drop me an email or an MP3, you can do that at firearmscafe at gmail.com. And it's all going to be one word, firearmscafe.com at gmail.com. Before we get into the main part of the show, I'm going to talk about something that is happening as I'm recording. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read the online article from uh, STL Today, which is stlouistoday.com. The title of their article is Gunman Opens Fire at Northside Power Company. So I'm just going to go ahead and, and read the article. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the article uh, verbatim, and at the end of it, I'll go ahead and we'll uh, we'll discuss the article and what's going on. Updated 9.35 a.m. Thursday, St. Louis. A gunman armed with an assault rifle stormed a power company this morning in North St. Louis, shooting at least three people. 
at least one shooting victim is presumed dead. Some employees at the business ran to the rooftop to escape gunfire. At least one man barricaded himself in a maintenance room. The shots erupted at 6.30 a.m. at ABB Power at 4350 Simple Avenue. The gunman may still be inside the building, and at 9.30, police set up a two-mile perimeter around the plant with no one allowed in or out. A company supervisor told police that the gunman was a disgruntled worker who may have recently lost his job. Now, at this point in the article, they give the guy's name, and uh, I'm not going to do that uh, because that's what this guy wants. So I'm going to skip over that little insert. Police and ambulances were coordinating efforts at a staging area at Bircher and Simple. SWAT team members were called out. Details provided by police spokeswoman Shron Jackson were sketchy, but conversations between dispatchers and police on the scene paint a horrific scene. Where bleeding victims are hiding, afraid to come out, and commanding officers early on were even getting conflicting reports about the race of the elusive gunman. Here's a summary of the morning. About 6.30 a.m. today, police got a call from a woman very upset who said that someone came in to the east side of the building and started shooting. Quote, they are still shooting. A dispatcher told police officers rushing to the scene at 6.34 a.m. The scene was so chaotic that even the descriptions of the gunman were confusing to police. At first, the witness described the gunman only as a black man about 5 foot 8 or 5 foot 9, wearing a tan coat and carrying a semi-automatic weapon. Later, a company supervisor called police to give the name of a disgruntled worker who had possibly been recently fired. That worker was a white man. Another employee on the phone with the police said multiple shots were being fired at the east annex of the building. One man was shot in the leg at the, at the east annex. One caller and other employees were on the roof while talking to police. Quote, the subject is now outside still shooting, a dispatcher said. Minutes later, police were tracking a black SUV with its headlights off, heading east from Simple and Bircher. But the conversation on the police radio was somewhat chaotic. A police supervisor was trying to determine whether the SUV was connected in some way or if shots were still being fired inside the building. At 6.45 a.m., that was soon cleared up, though, when an employee on a rear lot told police over the phone that he was looking at the gunman right then and that the gunman was still shooting. Police were told he carried a handgun, a rifle, and an ammunition belt. Ambulances were on their way, but police warned that it was a, quote, hot zone because the shooter hadn't been captured yet. At 7.15 a.m., one victim hiding in a supervisor's office at the plant called police to say he had been shot in the stomach, leg, and arm and was afraid to come out because he didn't know where the gunman was. He said he was with another shooting victim, a man who was neither conscious nor breathing. The plant on Simple has about 200 employees and annual revenue exceeding $50 million, according to company profile. It makes transformers for ABB, an international power company. A company spokesman could not be immediately reached to comment. Employees were being escorted by police onto a metro bus, but weren't being allowed to leave the scene. About 7.35 a.m., the employees on the roof called police and wanted to know if it was safe to come down. No was the reply from a police supervisor at the scene. She said she wanted to make sure 
they came down the same stairwell that the police were in so the employees wouldn't accidentally take another route and run into the gunman. At 7.45 a.m., two employees called police to tell them that they were hiding out in a room accessible only by ladders and said it was so loud they wouldn't be able to hear officers coming to help them. Those employees were texting family members to let them know they were unhurt. Based on information provided to police by a company supervisor, police were looking for the man, a longtime employee of ABB. A longtime friend and neighbor of the man said that the man has worked for the company for a long time. The neighbor said that he spoke to the man just two days ago and nothing was bothering him. He said that the man is a hunter and has guns. The neighbor said he could not believe that his friend could do such a thing and is worried that the police are looking for the wrong man. I'm very upset, the neighbor said in a phone interview from his home this morning. He's a good friend of mine and I'm really concerned. He is a good man. Uh, the article ends with, this is a breaking story, check back today for updates. Now, the reason I'm talking about this is not to bring the news and the details of the shooting, but to talk about the response of the police. Uh, a while back I did an episode about a show, uh, the show on, I think it's on Bio Channel called I Survived. And in that episode, the point that I tried to make was that in these life-threatening situations that even if the police are right there they may not come in and get you out for a long time now again this is not a criticism of the police or SWAT teams this is to re-emphasize to all of us that we're on our own uh, if we look at the timeline uh, it's been about three hours going on four and it seems that if maybe some people have gotten out, but clearly there are several people who are still in the building and maybe injured or dead. Let's see, I just went back over to the website and they have an update and I'll go ahead and read that. It says, at 10 p.m., excuse me, at 10 a.m. today, police at a news conference said they believe the gunman was within the two-mile perimeter searching the campus for the gunman and for any workers who might be wounded will be tedious work, police said. Quote, it is a very slow and methodical process and will take several hours, said Captain, Captain Sam Dotson of the St. Louis Police Department. We believe the perimeter was established quickly enough that the suspect was contained on site. Dodson said police were going room by room Quote, we have no reason to believe that there are any hostages. St. Louis Fire Chief Dennis Jenkerson said at 10.30 a.m. today that he has ambulances waiting it out while police search the building. He said he worries that they will find people who were wounded early in the attack and couldn't get help. A while back, the guys over at Pro Arms did a uh, podcast where they had interviews with some people that were doing, I think it was training for law enforcement and police, and what they were talking about and trying to train for was this type of a situation, an active shooter, and or I believe what they called him was an active killer or active murderer, which is actually more uh, of an apt name. And one of the trainers that they were, had, were speaking to had stated that what they were trying to get into place 
was that the officers wouldn't wait. That when the uh, first person who was a respond, the first responding officer, the first couple of responding officers would meet up and then go into the building and try and, and search out and hunt out the shooter. And I, I guess, you know, that's what we'd all like to have happen. But I think the reality of it is, is that they're always going to try and set that perimeter up. They're going to try and figure out what's going on. They would like to go, you know, rushing in or they'd like to go in as soon as possible. But I think that what will happen is that officer safety will trump that because you don't want to go in and make the situation worse. You don't want to go in and throw the lives away of of your officers. Um so I, I don't know that that will ever change. If it does, uh, you know, that would be good for you and I as the average citizen. But I, I think it would go back to the the way it is now once three or four officers got shot and killed. Because they're not, if, if that happens, they're not making the situation any better by doing that. It doesn't really help anybody to have more people killed. Now, I have friends that are police officers and they don't want to just sit out there. They want to go in and they want to act. But again, it, you have we have to all understand that that's probably not going to happen. Uh, again, because they don't want to make the situation worse. So it comes back to, uh, again, that same thing that I've, I've been saying for a long time, that we're going to be on our own in those situations. And that even if they get there within three or four minutes, which would be a phenomenal response time, most of what is going to happen has already happened. And that's why we need to fight so hard to be able to not only carry concealed or carry openly, uh, just to be able to carry a firearm, but to constantly fight for expansion of the places where we can carry those weapons. We need to be able to, uh, you know, recently in Arizona, and this would be for people who have a concealed carry permit, We've got restaurant carry now where they serve alcohol for consumption. So bars and restaurants you can take in there as long as that establishment hasn't uh, posted a sign. And I'm going to tell a little bit of a story here. And this isn't to toot my own horn or anything because there were other people involved. There was a local restaurant here in Arizona called Sombrero's. And it's a Mexican food restaurant. They're also a chain. And so I think they have about four restaurants in the what you would call like the greater Phoenix area, uh, which includes town like Phoenix and Mesa, uh, Chandler, you know, Tempe, Gilbert, places like that. And this is a place where uh, my family, we go all the time. You know, we like the food there. It's, it's uh, good food. It's a nice atmosphere. Well, not too long ago, we were going to go in there and all of a sudden there's a big, you know, no firearms sign. And so we said, well, that's not, you know, I said, that's enough of that. We're not coming back here. And I, the next day I got on the phone and called the manager and spoke with him and a nice gentleman. And he said, well, I, you know, I really don't have, the long and short of the conversation was that he said he really didn't have the authority to uh, either put up the signs or, or take down the signs. You know, after speaking with him for a while, he had said, well, I can, you know, I, I can see your point and what you're saying makes sense, but let me give you the uh, the owner's name and phone number because I don't have, it's not my decision, it's not up to me. So 
I got on the phone with the, or actually I called the uh, the owner, and it was a, a voicemail. I left a message for him and said I was disappointed that the sign was there, and you know, blah blah blah. Here's my uh, here's my name and my number. Uh, if if you would like, you know, please call back. And I was actually surprised. I uh, got a call back from the owner, and again, very nice gentleman. He his concern was that he didn't want uh, open display or open carry of firearms because he thought that that might make some of his patrons uncomfortable. And he and I talked for a while, and um, I explained you know what open carry was. I explained what the new law was to him. Uh, and this guy, he, you could tell he, I don't think he was anti-gun at all, uh, he, but he wasn't pro-gun either. He was pretty much neutral. Uh, I, I don't, I don't think he had a problem with people owning guns or having them. Uh, but for him, it wasn't, it wasn't something that really entered into his thought. And probably somebody got a hold of him and said, "Hey, you need to put this up, and this will keep your restaurant safer." And in the course of our conversation, he had mentioned that, you know, he had gotten a couple other responses. And after I got off the phone with him, I thought, you know, if he gets just probably three or four more people that call up or email him or or contact him in some way and say hey we're concealed carry holders and and we're responsible people and and we'd like to come into your restaurant but we feel that we're not welcome here and so what i did is i contacted dustin from dustin's gun blog and i contacted uh, a gentleman named mike who's a listener who i won't give his last name out uh who's who lives here in arizona and I asked them to do me a favor. I asked them to go ahead and, and contact uh, the owner. And if they had any friends that were concealed carry people, that they could should also contact uh, the owner And if, if they went to that restaurant and, uh, and let them know that we'd like the signs to come down. Well, about a day or so later, I got responses both from Dustin and from Mike and... Uh, the owner had had responded to their emails to them and had said that the signs were going to come down and the point of this whole story again is not to and and of course the the signs did come down but again the point of this whole story is not to pat myself on the back or to say well look what i did it's that if we we can make a difference and we can, and if we make a difference in some of these little things you know, if we see a restaurant that we like to go to and they've put up a sign like that, if we can get some of our friends and and we can talk to the, the those people, the owners, and, and do so in a manner that presents our cause in a calm and rational manner, a lot of times they'll go ahead and they'll take the signs down because they realize that having the signs up, and this is the thing I think that, that the owner of some boroughs realized, was that having that sign up was not going to do anything to make his his restaurant safer or his employees safer. It it wouldn't do one single thing. And I think ultimately that's probably why he took them down. And of course it does help that you know that several of us contacted him. But I think again the reality of it was is he probably only heard from maybe about 10 people. Now he could have heard from hundreds of other people, but from my conversation with him when I talked to him he had said that he had had about maybe three other people that had called and, and expressed sort of the same concern that I had. So again, a lot of times it, we don't have to 
you know, overwhelm people or, or, or rush them in mass. A lot of times just, you know, if five or six of us will call, and this is, of course, on an independent businessman, but this also goes to what Eric talks about with the 6% project. Um, and if you don't listen to his show, you need to go over there and listen to him. If you're not involved, you need to get involved in the 6% project uh, where you contact your senators, your elected uh, representatives, um, or you know even something like what I did would qualify you to for the contest where he's going to give away a gun if you get involved. You know, do something. Don't just complain. And again, when we see these type of mass shoot these shootings that are going on uh, over here in St. Louis, imagine if when that guy had come in, that uh, uh, ten of those people were armed, and they could offer resistance. He may have shot one or two people, but when he gets when they start shooting back and returning fire, he's either going to kill himself or he's going to leave the scene. Uh, and if he's super determined to fight it out, he's, he's going to be engaged by those armed citizens. And he's not going to be running through the building shooting fish in a barrel. So the more places that, that we as armed citizens can carry... And the more that, and I'll, I'll kind of say it in air quotes, that society comes to accept that it's legal for us to carry in uh, in these places. And I think, you know, the, the more and the and the more that that happens, the more that they see, well, concealed carry people have been carrying here for years, and they've never shot up the place. They've never gone crazy and done anything, you know, untoward. Um, and I think the next big place that we need to fight for, and they've already done it in, in some states, uh, is in our schools. And in our schools, at a minimum, we need to have at least some of our teachers armed and some of the staff there armed. Uh, you can look at the little town in Texas where they've done that. And guess what? There was all this hue and cry about how this was such a horrible idea. Nothing's happened. Um, they were a rural school. The word's out, if you come there and you're going to try and shoot that school up, you're going to meet resistance. People will try to stop you. So the likelihood of there ever being a shooting at that school is pretty much reduced almost to zero. Because people understand, if I go there, I will meet resistance. And I have no idea where that resistance is going to come from. Because it's not going to be... A security guard in a uniform that I can single out easily. Now there may be a security guard in a uniform there, but there may be every teacher in that class, every te- excuse me, in that school may have a gun, may be armed. So nobody is going to go there and shoot that place up. Now I know that I had said earlier, kind of in the first part of the show, that I was going to talk about some of the uh, continue with the court series. But I, I think we'll probably put that off uh, to the next show. Um, I'm starting to get to kind of about to the length of where I like the shows to sort of wind up at. What I do want to talk about today, and as we're on the subject of a little bit of kind of being aware and, and, and furthering our rights and, and things of that nature, I met Michael Bain, and many of you guys know who he is. Uh, he's got a show on the Outdoor Channel, a couple of shows. He's got Shooting Gallery and The Best Defense. I met him at the NRA uh, convention, and uh, I got a book of his called Trail Safe, How to Avoid Danger in the Backcountry. And I've done a review on this before, but I did want to kind of mention this book again and mention his show again. I really... 
enjoyed and got a lot out of his book. And I'd say if you could, go ahead and pick it up. Uh, I think you can go to uh, his website. You can Google uh, maybe Michael Bain, or I, I think he's, his production company is called Flying Dragon, LTD. And, and you could maybe even Google that and uh, you'll find him, or just even the name of the book. But it's a really good book, and it was originally designed to help you when you're kind of out in the backcountry if you're hiking on the trails and you're going to be out there alone, and there really is going to be no help. Being aware of things, you know, paying attention to those, what he called emails that you get sent to the back of your head that says, hey, this guy looks a little hinky, maybe I should... I should avoid this person, or maybe I should go a different way. I should turn around and walk away. Also, I would recommend, and I've been watching his uh, his new program, The Best Defense. Man, it is such a good show. He's got two of probably the top guys in the uh, in the definitely in the country, probably in the world today, in Michael Janitz and Rob uh, Janitz, excuse me, and in Rob Pincus as far as uh, trainers. So I'd say go ahead, definitely pick up his book. Um, if you want a little bit more detail about it, go ahead and give me an email or, or give me a call. Let me know. On on the back of his book, he has a quote from Walt Rausch. And if you don't know who he is, he's a guy who, who was in, I think, Secret Service and was, was in the police, I think maybe in the warrant squads. But anyway, uh, he, he's a guy that has just, just tons of knowledge. And he's written a book that I had picked up a while back, and I don't know if I've ever mentioned it before, but the title of his book is called Real World Survival, What Has Worked For Me, and this is by Walt Rausch, and uh, his last name is spelled R-A-U-C-H. And I picked my copy up, it was used, but man, what a wonderful book. And, uh, you know, if I want to talk about just different books, if I was going to recommend books for people to get and to pick up and to read, I would definitely say... Uh, get get Walt Rausch's book. Also get Trail Safe by Michael Bain. And pretty much anything that Masad Ayub has written, you're not you can't go wrong. Um, and if you if you were probably only going to get three books, uh, like I said, the three that I would get would definitely be uh, uh, Walt Rausch's Real World Survival: What's Worked for Me, Trail Safe by uh, Michael Bain, and probably uh, for concealed carry, um, and for people that are going to carry a firearm, I would probably get in the gravest extreme. But like I by Masad, but like I said, pretty much anything by by Masad Ayub, you're going to be golden. Uh, any book, I've, I've got several of his books. They're uh, wonderful, and I, I should probably talk more about this stuff on the show uh, because they're just such they're such a good resource. So let's switch gears here a little bit, and I want to take some time to talk about um, the network and talk about some of the other podcasts that are out there. We have got we're growing and growing and growing, and we have got tons of really good shows that are on the network. And I, you know, I very, very rarely ever ask for donations, and I've never asked for donations for me. Um, but if you guys listen to this show and if you listen to other shows and if you go and use the forums, um, I would ask that if you could try and be a subscriber, um, it's only $24 for a year and I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't done. 
Uh, I'm a subscriber, you know, and I, I do my my twenty four dollars there a year. And if a bunch of us would could do that, you know, the network could then sort of pay for itself, and it, and it would it would truly be something that we would all have ownership in. And you know, I I'm a, a, a libertarian at heart. And I think people should take responsibility for their actions and responsibility for the things that they want. And I don't think that it's right that Mark provides a resource and, it, and that it has to come all out of his pocket when it's other other people are using, let's say, the forums and things like that. Um, that stuff costs money to run. So... Uh, and again, if you don't want to be a subscriber, maybe do a you know like a one-time donation of, of even two or four or five dollars. Just anything that you could send in would be good. And again, like I said, I don't I don't like doing this stuff. Um, and I will say this, and this maybe make some of my fellow podcasters a little angry at me. I hope that everybody else who's a podcaster. And who has a show on the network, and I'm, I'm sure it's probably everybody does. I hope that each and every one of us are subscribers, um, and that we're at least adding something to the upkeep and to the the cost of running the network and running the forums. And that's pretty much all I'm I'm going to say about that. So now I'm going to ask you to even spend more of your money, uh, but not for me or not for the networks. If you're not a member of the NRA, you need to be a member of the NRA. You need to join them. You also need to join your state group, so your state rifle and pistol association. Uh, I'm also a member of, I, of course, I live here in Arizona. I'm a member of Arizona Citizens Defense League. And what's good about doing that is while the NRA uh, kind of tries to take a look at the big national picture, your local groups are going to have lots of people that are going to be really on top of stuff. They're going to give you information about upcoming bills, both good and bad, what you need to fight for, what you need to fight against. Um, they are uh, oftentimes by joining those groups, and if you get to know some of the people in those groups, you can have, uh, you can learn how to interact with your representatives by talking with those guys. Um, you can, you know, go in as part of the group sometimes to meet. Uh, certain representatives because you come in maybe as a group instead of as an individual so uh, and I think um, and of course uh, you know uh, lots of us on the network talk about this stuff and and joining things but again I think it's very very important to join your your uh, state groups even town groups um, if you have some but you definitely need to do the state groups because it's that old expression all politics are local the guy that is your councilman today may be your state representative tomorrow, and the day after that may be in the Congress or the Senate. So it's important that we have a voice with those people and that those people understand that the Second Amendment and that our gun rights are important to us. Okay, that's enough begging and preaching for one episode. Uh, we'll go out with a song, and I will see you guys next time.